Today, we are going to continue part two of a series we started last week called All In. All In. And today's lesson is going to be called Promises for the Faithful. Promises for the Faithful. And we're going to jump around a little bit today. We don't have one main text. We're going to look at four different promises with four different texts that go along with those promises. So if you have your Bibles, try to stay with us. If not, the the scripture will be on the screen as well. Before we get there, though, did you ever get a reward for something? Did you ever get rewarded for something? Well, I may have shared this story before, but I think it's been a while. When I was younger, I was involved in one of these children's programs called Awana. Anybody heard of that or been involved in Awana? Yes, yes. When I was younger, I was involved in Awana, and it was it was kind of like you'd expect. It was a midweek uh, kids program with Bible lesson and games and snacks and uh, crafts and things like that. And my brothers, and my brother and sister, and I were involved in Awana. I think I was around eight years old. I was around Haddon's age when this happened. Uh, I went and my teacher was doing memory verses for all their students. And he said to us that if we learned our memory verse, there would be a little little reward we would gain for learning that verse. And I think the girls got something girly. I don't even remember. It doesn't matter. Uh, But the boys were going to get baseball cards. The boys were going to get baseball cards. And at eight years old, I was peak baseball card collector. And uh, that was really what my life revolved around. So as soon as I heard the baseball card reward incentive, my ears perked up. And he said, all you need to do is memorize the verse, say it to your parents, let your parents initial on your paper that you said it, bring it back, and I'll give you some baseball cards. So the first week I did. I think it was a really easy verse, like Jesus wept. And uh, (laughs) I learned it. It was brilliant. And I said it to my dad. He signed his name. I brought it in, got the baseball cards, and I was thrilled. And I was like, wow, this is really great. But then the next weeks, the verses got, you know, progressively harder and longer. And I realized I wasn't really good, nor did I want to practice those verses. So, but I did want the baseball cards. So I was a devious little kid. And I figured out a system that um, my dad's signature, if you've ever seen my dad's signature, it's, it's just like a line. It's like a, just a, a big M with a line. Sorry, Dad, he's probably listening, but it's really easy to forge. It's really easy to forge, if any of you want to. Um, and so I kind of came up with a system that maybe I could get the reward, the baseball cards, without actually saying the verse if I just signed my dad's name. And so I did. Uh, one of the weeks I, I didn't like the verse. It was too long or too hard to learn. And so I just took a pen out and put my dad's little name next to it, brought it in, and got the baseball cards. And yeah, that was devious, sneaky. And this went on for three or four weeks. I was, I was getting the cards. I was building my collection. And then uh, one day... My dad brought me into his bedroom and said, Todd, sit down. And he had one of the little sheets with him. And he goes, what is this, Todd? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, uh, I noticed my signature here, but you haven't said any of these verses to me. And he goes, well, have you been signing my name to these? And I said, uh, I was trapped. I didn't know what to say. I was like, well, yeah, kind of. And uh, the reward that I was trying to get was baseball cards. Do you know the irony of the story? My punishment for forging my dad's signature and lying and cheating and whatever word you want to use for what I was doing was to lose every single one of my baseball cards for the entire summer, I believe. And so, yeah, that was a harsh one. But I had to learn my lesson because I was trying to get the reward without the condition of saying my verses. Today we're going to look at four rewards, four promises that God is going to give us And if you have your Bibles, join us in the first one. We're going to be in, see if I can get this thing going here. We're going to, as I said at the beginning, we're going to continue a series we started last week called All In. The point is to be all in for Jesus Christ. And today 
instead of the cost, which we looked at last week, we're going to look at the reward for being all in for Jesus Christ. And before I get into this, before I get into the scripture, I want you to know that the Lord never requires more from us than he's willing to give back. Do you know that about our Lord? Now, last week we looked at the cost. We looked at the requirement for being all in for Jesus Christ, and it sounded difficult. But I want us to know that we are never required more than the Lord is going to give back to us. And I want, you, I want that to be in the back of your mind today as we look at these rewards today, because last week we talked about being all in. We have to deny everything we want for what Jesus wants. Number two, we have to let our old life be crucified like Jesus was crucified, so that you and I can be light and loose to serve Jesus entirely with our lives. But the Lord never requires more from us than he's willing to give back. So if the Lord seems like he's asking a lot from us, we need to remember he's prepared to give us back so much more. Okay? So in an effort to cement his calling for us to loyal and faithful discipleship to Jesus Christ, we need to understand the reward for giving him such a sacrifice. That's the lesson. That's the spirit of the lesson today. Because without the reward, we're just suffering loss upon the earth. And who's going to sign up for that? Who's going to sign up for, to just suffer loss for the sake of God if there's no reward? So, so today we're going to use our entire lesson to look at some of the wonderful promises that the Lord is willing to give to those who go his way and give up their lives for his will. And as we'll hopefully all learn, the rewards for staying faithful to Jesus are incredible. They're incredible rewards, and I hope you understand that today. But as we notice these promises today, we need to understand the condition to each promise. The rewards are not promised to every professing Christian. These rewards that we're going to talk about today are those who are all in for Jesus. All in for Jesus. Those who are faithfully his. And so we're calling today's lesson promises for the faithful promises for the faithful let's begin today in my favorite passage john 15 this is my favorite passage in all of scripture and we're also going to close with this passage as well as we look at promise number one promise number one starting in verse 14 of john 15 jesus speaking he says you are my friends if you do what i command you no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Now, first of all, let us notice the condition to this specific promise. The condition is Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Notice it. Very clear, right? Very blunt. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, we all want friends, right? Everyone wants friends. What is life without friends? We're supposed to have friends. We're supposed to have relationships, close relationships. Every single one of us should have friends. That's a good thing. Did you ever have a really cool friend? A friend that maybe you shouldn't have had, but life circumstances kind of threw you together and now you just have a cool friend. A friend that other people want to be their friend as well. Well, in 10th grade, uh, I was friends with a very... A uh, cool kid, I guess, in the context of school. His name was Kurt Chermblow, and this kid was not only cool, he was big. A big, cool kid. And Kurt and I just, we had science class together, and we started eating lunch together, and we just kind of became friends organically. And, and I was a normal-sized kid in, in my school, and it was a school about 300 per class, so it was a big school. 
And there were the typical bullies in school, you know, really big kids who like to pick on other people. But I noticed that every single time that I was around Kurt, um, no one came near me. No one bothered me because Kurt was big and Kurt was popular. And Kurt was my friend and Kurt and I would hang out together. So I noticed that I could walk around in confidence when I was hanging around with Kurt. Uh, and Kurt, Kurt and I just became close friends. It was only one of those one or two year friendships and, you know, things fizzle and you change schools and things like that. But Kurt and I were friends and he was a cool friend. He was a big friend. It was nice to have Kurt as a friend in 10th grade. And I have several close friends today. Maybe you do as well. But I have a few really close friends as well. I have a handful of guys who really invest in me. And I invest in them as well. And these guys aren't really friends with each other. In fact, I think only two of them even know each other. But they all like me and I like them. And that's what makes a friend, right? And these close friends of mine, they all have the same characteristics. Number one, they all love the Lord. I would have chosen my friends differently when I was growing up, but today, that's a definite. If you're going to be a friend of mine, you need to love the Lord. They also have a good sense of humor, which I believe I do, and they have a sense of humor that is similar to mine, so that helps too. And number three, they all enjoy really deep conversations, which I also enjoy about the scriptures. So three things I really enjoy, Christ, humor, and deep conversations, and maybe uh, sports would be a fourth one, and that's kind of a weird mix, I know. But if someone isn't godly, if they don't enjoy humor, if they don't enjoy deep conversations, they're probably not going to be that close to me. Now, if they are godly, but they don't enjoy humor, then, you know, definitely I'll enjoy them and want to be around them, but they're not going to be my truly close friends. And if they enjoy humor, but not the Lord, then I'll enjoy their company to a point, but they'll never be that close to me because we don't share the most important thing, which is love for the Lord. Now, when someone ticks off all three of those boxes, now they have a chance to become my really close friend, if any of you are interested. <laughs> but consider who would be your best friend if you could ever find one. Who would the best friend be if you could check off all the boxes of what a friend would look like? Wouldn't it be someone who liked the things that you liked, enjoyed the things that you enjoyed, had the same personality, the same sense of humor, and at the same time was important? was famous, maybe even? Wouldn't it be great to have a close friend who was famous and popular and was a powerful influence? Notice the first promise. Jesus says, if you keep my commands, you are my friends. You are my friends. Now, there are a lot of amazing blessings that we receive from being Christians. But Jesus says that if we're all in for his will, that he considers us his friend. Think about that. Jesus considers me his friend. Now, did you ever get, have a notice, excuse me, did you ever have a celebrity notice you or greet you or respond to you on the internet, anything like that? Anyone want to slip their hand up? Any, any celebrities back there? Yes? And you get a little starstruck when that happens, right? Even if you see someone who's, who's famous and you get close to them, you get a little starstruck. Well, the other day, uh, this is kind of funny, but a celebrity from a sitcom that I used to watch growing up and started watching again, thanks to things like Hulu, uh, actually commented on one of my Instagram posts. And at first I was like, that's a fake account. That's not the real guy, you know? Who are these bozos who respond? But, but then I checked his page and I realized it was the actual actor who commented on one of my videos. And it was a little embarrassing to admit, but I got a little starstruck in that moment because it was a guy that I grew up watching and grew up liking and 
and until I realized hardly anybody knows who this guy is, and uh, I came back to Earth. <laughs> but for a moment, it was kind of cool that a celebrity, or maybe ex-celebrity, noticed me and noticed my family, and he liked something that I posted, and he commented, and he was somebody famous. I know that's a silly example, and if you want to know who it is, come and ask me later, and I'll let you know, because that's not really the point, but the one we're talking about today is the Lord of the universe. Consider that. He is the most famous person in existence. Our Lord literally spoke creation into existence. The entire kingdom of heaven sings his praises day and night without stopping. The universe bows to his will. And now he's telling us that he is our friend if we're all in for his commandments. He is my friend and he is your friend. Wow. Now, not only does the Lord know us, and we can say that we once met the Lord. That would be cool enough to say, well, I, met, I once met the Lord of the universe. But the Lord tells others that he is our friend. I want you to think about that. Let that hit you today. God desires to hang out with you and with me. Have you thought about that recently? God wants time with you. That should amaze us. We take God for granted way too much. The king of all the other kings thinks about you and hopes that you can spend time with him today. That's unbelievable. And if you and I get starstruck for silly celebrities of the world, then what should we feel toward that truth? Is Jesus your friend? Is he your friend today? Do you obey him? Do you boast to others about his friendship with you? Just like I boasted about my friendship with Kurt in 10th grade. And that's promise number one that we find in John 15. But there's a second promise in this passage. Jesus says, All that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Sometimes we move too passly, too quickly past these words. All that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. See, because Jesus and I are friends, and because I strive to obey him, he reveals to me the secrets of the mind of God. I have full access into God's files, you might say, through my relationship with Jesus. Not only does he reveal to me his ama God's amazing desires, but God complies with this. That I know his mind and his will because I am friends with his son. Now, growing up, when my friends came over to my house, which they often did, my house was kind of the hangout pad. My parents ended up treating many of my friends, my close friends, like they were their own sons. My friends ate what they wanted. They hung out and stayed at my house as long as they wanted. They even asked my parents' advice on certain things, just like I did or maybe should have. Um, but my friends had access to my home and had access to my parents' counsel because they were my friends and because my parents are awesome people. But if we want to go even deeper on this, then my wife is like a daughter to my parents because she's married to their son. They give Janine the same love, or sometimes better love, than they do for me. And so it is with our relationship with God. If we're in a covenant relationship with Jesus, if Jesus is our bridegroom, then we are God's children. And it's all because Jesus calls us his friend and his church. And the only prerequisite to this amazing friendship is that we're all in for Jesus Christ. 
by striving to obey his commandments. Don't you want a friend like Jesus? Don't you? Don't you want a friend of great influence, of great power, of great worth, of great beauty, of great love, like our Lord Jesus Christ? And don't you want full access to God, his will and his kingdom? Don't you want those two things? Friendship with the Lord of the universe and access to God, his will, and his kingdom. That's the first reward and that's the first promise. And we're going to link these promises together at the end. But we're going to keep moving because there's three more promises we we want to look at today. Promise number two comes from John 14. You bump back one chapter and we find promise number two. And let's read the text together. It's John 14 starting in verse 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now we don't have time to dissect this entire passage, unfortunately, but we're going to pull the amazing promise from it. But I want us again to, first of all, Notice the condition to this promise. Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Once again, you and I need to be all in for Jesus. Notice the pattern. But once again, and once we love Jesus Christ and we desire to obey him, that another amazing reward is coming our way. And there's two promises in this passage as well. Promise number one, Jesus says, And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. God, again, loves you profoundly when you enter into a relationship with his Son and you strive to follow and obey him. God loves you profoundly. God thinks about you. God cares for you. God watches over you. God protects you. You are on God's mind a lot when you have a covenant relationship with his son. And Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come and make our home with him. When we obey Jesus, we love Jesus. It's a simple and straightforward equation. Why would anyone faithfully obey Jesus unless they loved him? And when we love Jesus, Jesus has already loved us. That's a truth from scripture. If we can love Jesus, Jesus has already loved us. He's brought us into a salvation, forgiveness, and covenant relationship with him. And because of that, we're going to receive all of God's amazing blessings. Because God loves Jesus. And God loves anyone who loves Jesus. Now this time Jesus says that God and Jesus will love us and will manifest himself to us and make their home with us. Wow. He will manifest themselves to us and will make their home with us. Now in our previous promise, we learned that Jesus considers us his friend if we obey him. And that's an amazing reward and promise from God. But here we discover so much more than that. Jesus says that whoever loves him will will receive a profound 
manifestation with him. Manifestation. I wonder if you know what that word means. Manifestation. What exactly does manifest mean? Well, I looked it up, and the word manifest means to display, to act, or to demonstrate one's appearance. To display, act, or demonstrate one's appearance. Jesus says that if you obey my commandments, God will manifest himself to you, and we will make our home with you. If you and I obey the Lord Jesus Christ and his commandments, it's a promise from God that you and I will receive a special and unique appearance from God in our lives. It's a promise from God. Now, we all know what it's like to have faith in God without seeing him, right? That's that's what faith is called. We believe in God even though we have not seen him. But what if we could actually see him in a profound way? Not with our physical eyes, but with a spiritual presence that can only be known by those who love God. God will appear in your life in a way he does not appear in just anyone's life. That's what he's saying. This manifestation is not going to be wasted on just anybody. Okay, This is a special and unique reward for those who are all in. It's not just for the general Christian or Christ professor who says, I go to church and I'm a Christian. This manifestation is promised to those who are all in. For Jesus. Those who desire to strive and desire, desire and strive, excuse me, to obey the very things he's taught us. When you and I give ourselves to the will and the word of the Lord, then the Lord promises that he will come near to us. He will give us his divine presence and power to accomplish all the things that he desires from us. Guys, it's a similar manifestation that I get when I'm communicating the word of God. It is. God comes alongside of me and helps me communicate his word. Because I'm going to be honest to you, newsflash, I'm not going to be a great communicator of the word of God or a great pastor without the the divine help of God. I need his manifestations. Every single minister would say the same thing. We're nothing. We're not worth a grain of salt without Christ's and God's manifestations. If you read the book of Acts, and if you haven't read the book of Acts in a while, please read through it. Or if you ever read a biography from a missionary, or if you want to sit down with a pastor like myself or Pastor Mellon, ask them what the Lord does for them on a weekly basis. You might just hear about manifestations from God that are not typical to the average Christian. Ways that God comes near us to help us, and those manifestations would amaze you. They're not spooky, okay? There's nothing spooky about them, but they're real. God reveals himself. He comes near to those who are serving him and he helps them. You see, but this promise in John 14, it's not just for the apostles or pastors or missionaries. It's for everybody who gets on board with God's will through Jesus Christ. Everybody can receive this manifestation from God. God will come so close to you and your life that he says he will make his home with you. He will make his home with you. Can you fathom that promise? God and Jesus will make their home with us. Now, Jesus is, first of all, our friend. We learn that. And second of all, he gives us access to the mind and the will of God. But now he also lives with us. That's much more than even a close friend. That's what's called a family member. Remember the passage where Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You will have many other people come in and out of your life, but I will never leave you. 
nor forsake you. God and Jesus are our family. And it's not just in the sense that we can call them father and brother, but it's in the sense that we live together, okay? It's in the sense that we share everything. Whatever comes to one comes to the other, just kind of like my twin boys. Whatever comes to one comes to the other. If they go to kindergarten, they both go to kindergarten. If they suffer loss, they both suffer loss. If there's a joy, they both experience the joy. They share everything. They depend on one another. We are family members with God in the most profound sense of the word. We, God and us, need and love one another. It's as simple as that. And we would take a bullet for each other. And he actually did. Jesus actually died for us because that's how much he loves us. He's willing to go to those lengths. And if that seems like a fairy tale to you, then perhaps you don't know this promise by experience. And I can tell you from firsthand experience that God directly fathers me in so many profound ways. And Jesus has been like a sibling to me that comes alongside of me when I need encouragement and strength. You know why I believe? Because he lives with me. And I see him daily. That's why I'm a Christian. Not because I believe a set of facts that a book taught me. Because he lives with me and I see him daily. For anyone to convince me that the Lord isn't real, it's impossible. I see him every single day. I have to to do what I do. I get stronger and more confident through these special manifestations from God and from Jesus Christ. And these manifestations are real. And they're profound. They're unlike anything the world can give us. And this promise, once again, is for those who are all in for Jesus Christ. All those who strive to obey his commandments. Jesus will be our friend. He will give us access to the mind and the will of God. And now he says, I will make my home with you. I will live with you. You will have me and I will have you. Now, God doesn't just live with anybody, okay? Only those who are all in for Jesus get this manifestation from God. It is a special and unique reward that God gives to those who really want to please him with their life. That's promise number two. Let's keep going. Promise number three. This one comes from Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 28. Now Peter began to say to Jesus, See, we have left everything to follow you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Now I want us to pay attention to the condition once again. Okay? Here's the condition once again. Notice the pattern. He says, There is no one who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake, and for the gospel. Do you notice all in? There it is, right? There it is, all in. This special promise that we're about to reveal is given to those who abandon their old lives for the sake of following Jesus with full devotion. Now, who's he talking to? The response is to Peter. One of the very first disciples that followed Jesus Christ, he literally left everything and followed Jesus Christ, and so did the other disciples. And this particular promise, if you read the context of this, immediately follows Jesus' warning to the rich. Right after the rich young ruler said, Jesus, I will follow you. And Jesus said, 
sell your possessions and give them to the poor and then come and follow me. That was, this passage right now is following that passage. And then Peter turns to Jesus. And he says that unlike the rich young ruler and the, the rich people like that who have left nothing to follow Jesus Christ, the disciples left everything to follow Jesus Christ. And this sounds a little bit like bragging when you hear Peter say this, like, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. But you have to understand, Peter had just heard from Jesus Christ that most rich people will not get to the kingdom of God because their riches will weigh them down from following him. Remember that passage? The rich have a very, very difficult time following me because they have too much weighing them down. So after hearing this statement, the rich young ruler, he left with his head hanging down. He left sad because his earthly possessions were too valuable to sacrifice in order to follow Jesus the way that he demanded. So Peter just experienced that. This must have been dramatic to witness. The rich young ruler says, I'll follow you. Jesus says, sell your possessions and give them to the poor. And the rich young ruler walks away sad because he can't. It's too much to give up. And Peter had just witnessed that. And so now he has in his mind this honest and fitting question to the Lord. He's wondering, what is the antithesis, Jesus, of what the rich young ruler looks like? For those who did follow you, for those who did abandon all their things to follow you at all costs, what can they expect from their investment? And Jesus is kind enough to answer Peter's honest question very clearly and very thoroughly. And this is his response. Here's the promise. He says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Now this promise is twofold, okay, twofold. There is reward now, and there is a reward to come in the afterlife. The reward for the now is that all that has been sacrificed for Jesus will be returned to us with better situations. Jesus says, a hundredfold. I said on Wednesday, I don't know exactly what that translates today, the equivalent, but I'm going to say a hundred times. Okay, Jesus says, whatever you sacrifice will come back to you a hundredfold versus what you gave up. Now remember, the Lord never requires more from us than he's willing to give back. Never. If he's asking something great and big from you, he's willing to give you something much, much bigger and much, much greater. Now, this promise might sound a little bit like the prosperity gospel, right? <laughs> That's floating around today. Like if you follow God, he'll give you cars and mansions and riches it might sound a little bit like that. So let's be crystal clear today on what Jesus means. Is Jesus saying that if we give up our car or our home or money for someone in the name of love, that he will give us a better car and a better home and more money in return? Is that what Jesus is saying? Possibly. Yes. But this is not supposed to be taken as a blanket promise for everyone in every situation. And the reason for that is because of this one phrase in this text that says, with persecutions. That's an interesting and important phrase there. The phrase is supposed to help us discover that God's prosperity is vastly different than the prosperity of man upon the earth. In fact, God's price prosperity might equal persecution for his name. 
It will be prosperity, but it might look vastly different than what you're expecting. Now, could God give his people the very best cars and homes and bank accounts? Of course he could. He's God. He could do whatever he wants. The gifts of God would boggle your mind, and one day they will. So if God wanted us rich upon the earth, then rich we would be. And the Lord has done this for a few small and specific kind of people. Some people do get earthly blessings in the way that you'd expect. You see, but God's, God, God's gifts are so much better than the world's treasures. And it's not even a close comparison. So much so that his richest blessings don't even work in the context of this world. God's blessings are from another world and another place. And those are the blessings he wants us to have. Now, I'm going to use an illustration that is kind of silly, and hopefully it'll work. But I want you to imagine if you had created the insects, okay? You were the creator of the insects, and you loved those insects. And you wanted to give those insects a very cool present, because you love them. But those insects live in the context of an insect's world, not your world. Your world is much better than theirs. Now, would you give them the very best insect type of blessing that you could find? Maybe. Or would you desire to have to give them the very blessings that you can experience in your own world, a world that is much, much greater than theirs? Would you want their gifts that you gave them to transcend their world and their brief existence as insects and cause them to know real blessings in a world of greater glory and greater life? This is a faulty analogy, I know that, but that's sort of the message Jesus is giving us here. If we abandon things and people in this life, things and people that are holding us back from following Jesus Christ, then the Lord is going to communicate to us his future heavenly blessings in such a way that we will be rich now and in the life to come. We'll be rich in both worlds. We will be blessed in this life with a real hope and a changed perspective on what's most important. The Lord will make us rich with contentment and with peace that we have upon this world. Even amidst potential persecutions, we will have peace and contentment. And we will be blessed in the future life with rewards and blessings that are waiting for us, that are going to boggle our minds. Yet it might look like we're getting poor in this world. It might look that way, while Christ makes us richer in the world to come. And the Lord of all creation is the one who is promising us these very blessings if we will go all in for him now in this world. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily that we will be poor in this life. And it doesn't mean that we will be wealthy in this life. The Lord will decide what we can individually handle while seeking for us to become true, faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. But he will bless us, make no mistake. He will bless us in ways that only can be experienced by those who are all in for Jesus. And I will say it this way, blessings that once you do experience them will ruin all earthly blessings for you. They won't be good enough any longer. Once you experience the blessings and the love and the manifestations of God, you cannot be satisfied by anything the world can give. They're better, they're greater, they go well beyond those. And I'm telling you that from experience. So whether persecution, hardship, or blessing come to you in this life, 
Everything is given to you. Everything is given to you to make you richer and more blessed in the life to come because that's how our God is. I don't hate the term prosperity gospel. I told you that. I just don't like the earthly mindset that we have around that word. Be assured of this today. This is a promise of rewards from God through Jesus that anyone who goes all in for Jesus will absolutely experience because God cannot lie. If you go all in for Jesus Christ, you will get richer. When we sacrifice in order to follow Jesus Christ, we will always increase our riches. It's a guarantee from God, and we're investing in a can't-miss stock. I said on Wednesday, wouldn't it be great if you could go back 25 years and plunk down forty dollars or $50,000 into Google or Apple or Amazon? Wouldn't that be great for 25 years ago to put all your money on that stock because now you know it's a can't-miss. It's going to invest. God is telling us today there is a can't-miss stock called the kingdom of God, and if you invest in it, your wealth will increase and increase and increase. It's a guarantee from him. And God will also give you these unique special care packages in this world to help you endure, to help you go forward. You see, the disciples may have gotten poor in this world, but you never would have known it, right? If you would have hung around the disciples and the apostles, they were full of happiness and contentment and confidence in their Lord, weren't they? Because of the rewards that were waiting for them. They knew that God could not lie. That God was promising them future eternal rewards. And that gave them peace and joy and happiness and confidence in this life. I mean, think about it. If you read the book of Acts, what kind of person can sing hymns when rotting in a dungeon for sharing the gospel? Who can do that? What kind of person can rejoice after being flogged for speaking the name of Jesus? Because that actually happened. They left the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. What kind of person cannot be lured back to the ease and comforts of this world after enduring such pain, such loneliness, and such hardship for the name of Christ? And you know what it proves? These blessings are real. They're real. And Jesus is saying to us today, taste and see. And once you experience these blessings, you'll never go back. You'll never be able to go without Only those who have experienced the joy from Jesus can be so rich in their souls that earthly riches and comforts cannot possibly make them any richer. It's amazing. And that's promise number three. And we have one more. Promise number four. We have one last promise from John, and we're going to look at John 15 one last time before we close today. Listen to what it says in verse 9. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now again, we need to notice the condition to this reward. Once again, notice the pattern. If you keep my commandments. Do you see the pattern here? Keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. Go all in for Jesus Christ. How many times are God's people promised rewards that have the specific condition attached to it? If you and I miss how important it is to keep the commandments of God, 
we're not paying very close attention. It's all over Scripture. God makes it crystal clear in the Word of God. The commandments of Jesus are exactly and precisely what pleases God. Don't make up your own religion. Give to God exactly what he asked for. And they're very clearly stated. If we obey his commandments as the practice of our lives, then we have another amazing reward coming to us. And this time it's twofold as well. He says, number one, you will abide in my love. You will abide in the love of Jesus. Or in my paraphrase, you will make your home in the love of Christ. Your home, both now and in eternity, will be in the dwelling place of Christ's love. And number two, he says, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Do you hear this hurting, lonely, beaten down soul today? Do you hear that? Christ and his love and his joy are packaged and ready to ship to you if you will go all in for following and obeying his will. Not the world's version of joy. God's love and God's joy. Imagine what those two things would be worth. Now, does anyone not desire joy and love? Is there anyone upon the earth that does not desire love and joy? Anyone at all? In fact, wouldn't you say that everyone seems to be in a short supply of these two things today? Don't you wish you just had a big bucket, an endless supply of love and joy that never ran out, that you could just go anytime you saw someone hurting and suffering, you could just take that big bucket and dump it on their lives, and it would never run out. Endless joy, endless love. You would be the most famous, popular, important person in the world. People would stay so very near to you. Because whenever they got low on love or joy, you'd be there in a flash to fill them up again. Well, this is precisely what the Lord Jesus can do and desires to do for us. Okay, so if that's true, then why is anyone lacking in love or joy today? If God can do it, and if he desires to do it, then why is there so much pain? Why is there so much sadness in this world? Well, I need you to remember the condition. Remember that story I shared at the beginning of the sermon that I got the baseball cards without saying the memory verse and it was a cheating way of getting the reward? These rewards today come with conditions. They do. Quite simply, the reason there is so much pain and sadness and hurt in this world is because we're not all in for Jesus. The condition is that only those who are all in for Jesus will receive these unique and special rewards. And here's the reason for that. It's because we are supposed to glorify God as our primary chief objective in this life. We exist for the glory of God. Now, if God gave us his love and his joy, and we took those things and applied them to loving the world or enjoying sin, it would do the opposite of glorifying God. It would make him look cheap, and insignificant. And it would cause evil to multiply. That would not be good for God's glory nor God's kingdom. But if God served man's desires instead of the other way around, then God wouldn't be great. Man would. God wouldn't be the center of the universe. Man would. But if man serves God's desires, and if God makes sure that man is the happiest they could possibly be while doing so, then guess who is seen as great? 
our God. And that is the main point. Our God is great, and we are privileged to serve him, and I hope you believe that. This isn't a gimmick today, okay? This is the design of the world. This is how it was supposed to be ever since the creation of the world. We were created to bask in the greatness of God. That's why we were created. To return love, service, and worship, and thanksgiving back to that great God because of his greatness. And nothing accomplishes this like obedience to the Jesus and his commandments. These conditions that we're going to call them today are the reason we were created. It's our purpose. To glorify God and to obey God and to serve him and to thank him and to worship him. That's the reason we were created. When we look at our lives and we look at what we could live for and then we deny those things, like we said last week, for the sake of what Jesus says is best, then and only then does our soul flourish. Then and only then does our soul fill up, as Jesus says, to the max or overflowing with the love and the joy that comes from serving Christ. Remember what David said in Psalm 23, my cup runneth over. David knew the love and the joy of God so much so his cup, his little soul, comparatively, couldn't hold the love and the joy that God gave him. Now, as devious as the devil is by telling us that we're most happy and we're most loved when we're chasing the pleasures of the world, it's a trick and it's a snare. As I've stated before, God created our souls to be deep. Do you guys remember that illustration I brought up with the water jug? I had a big water jug and it was the biggest one I could find, but it was representing our soul and it took those little communion cups and I filled them to the max with the water, and I poured them in one after another, saying these are all the best things of the world, and I dumped them right into the big water jug. And the water jug, after I dumped five or six of those in, had like this much water filling it, and it had like 98, 99% of it still empty. Do you remember that illustration? That's what I want you to picture today. We have very deep souls, okay? Compared to the world, our souls are very deep. We were not designed to be satisfied by anything less than God. Anything. Than God himself. If we chase anything less than God, we will always, always feel empty because we are. So what the devil is doing by sending us wrong messages to our brain is he's seeking, in, he's seeking to give us the illusion of love, the illusion of joy from the pleasures of this world. So we'll remain empty. Because when we feel empty, guess what we do? We likely chase the immediate pleasure that sin gives us. To get the feeling of love. To get the feeling of joy. And if we chase that feeling long enough, it will lead us straight to destruction. And this is the devil's primary objective. To destroy you. He already knows he's doomed. The devil knows he's doomed for the rest of eternity. So his one simple and devious plan is to take down as many souls as he can with him. But he's smart. He knows that dangling willful disobedience to God right in front of your eyes is not his best strategy. Most of us are too smart for that. To bite in willful disobedience to God and give our lives to it, most of us are too smart for that. He's a master fisherman. So he has to conceal his hook of disobedience with a big juicy worm. 
and lead us to believe that love and joy are found on the path of disobedience to God. So we focus on the feeling of joy, the worm, instead of the hook, disobedience to God. That's his plan. It's quite ingenious. And if any of you have ever gone fishing, you know that's how you fish, right? I don't know anyone who goes fishing just with a hook. That's not a very good fisherman. (laughs) You need a lure or a big juicy worm or a piece of bait. You want the fish to focus on the bait, not the hook. You don't even want them to see the hook. And this is the experience ever since the beginning of the Garden of Eden. He got them to focus on the juicy worm that they were missing out on instead of the hook, which Jesus said, God said, if you eat of this, you will surely die. I want you to recall the last time you broke a clear commandment of God. Did the pleasure of sin fill you up? Did it fill you up? Or did that feeling pass very quickly? And suddenly you felt very sad, very empty, and very filthy. Now the devil has not figured out how to remove those feelings of shame and guilt yet. And that's a good thing for us. Because sin always brings regret. Always. But the devil convinces us to keep chasing the feeling of of joy and love because if we actually feel more pleasure than we do guilt and regret, we won't question it and we'll perhaps continue chasing sin and the pleasures of this world. Joyless, loveless sin. It's a constant and never-ending cycle. We chase sin to feel love and to feel joy in our souls and And we do get an instant pleasurable feeling from sin, but that feeling wears off very, very quickly. And then we're filled with sadness, with shame and regret. And I know this from experience. Yet we do it over and over again because it feels good for a moment. This is truly devastating. This is devastating that this happens. And sadly, when we do this, two very bad things are taking place. Number one, we're remaining empty instead of full without any true love and without any true joy from our Creator. And we're chasing the emptiness of the world. That's number one. We're feeling very empty because we are empty. And number two, we're moving further and further away from the only one who can really satisfy our souls, the Lord himself. So Jesus reminds us today that he and he alone is the only one who could fill our souls with true love and true joy that has no guilt and no shame and no filthiness at all attached to it. Christ's love and his joy will not only fill up our souls, but they come packaged with the peace that our lives are pleasing to God. Where else can we find that? Where can we find real joy and real love that comes with the peace that our lives are pleasing to God? Can the world give you that? Can you find it anywhere? And the answer is no. The metaphor that might help us is, maybe you guys have done this, you are longing to sit by the ocean, maybe one of these February, March days, and you just want to go to the ocean. Or maybe it's the middle of the summer, and you just want to go to the beach and sit under the golden rays of the sun and soak up the sun. But you don't have the time, you don't have the money, you don't have the opportunity to get to the beach. So you take one of your kiddie pools and you fill it with water, and you go out back on your deck and you stick your feet in the water for an hour. Let's be honest. Does that give you the illusion of the beach? Is that the experience that you get at the beach, sticking your feet in a kiddie pool for an hour? Did you just emulate the experience you get at the beach? 
And the answer is no. Can this world honestly give us anything close to what our Lord and Creator can? Think about that. Can the world emulate God's blessings and God's love and God's joy? Does the version of love and joy you get from the world really rival your Creator's love? Your sustainer, your Creator, and your Savior? Of course not. And that's the point. You and I need real love and real joy, and we need it to the max. I need my soul filled. I need it overflowing. I was made, and you were made to be loved and made to love one person primarily. And no one, no one, I don't care if it's a spouse or a friend or a child, can do for you what the Lord Jesus can do for your soul. Nobody. No matter who you chase, no matter who you try to fill your soul with, no one can do that for you except the Lord himself. So we discussed the four promises we get for being all in for Jesus. Let's recap them very quickly. Number one, the Lord Jesus will be our friend. He will be our friend. He will want you. He will want to hang out with you. He will want to boast in your friendship. Number two, God and Jesus will manifest themselves to us in a special and unique way, and they will make their home with us. God will make his home with you. Number three, we will receive a hundredfold more than we sacrifice to follow Jesus, both in this life and in the life to come. Number four, Jesus will fill up our souls with his love and with his joy. Do you see those one after another? Those promises from God himself. And there's one condition to receiving all four of the amazing rewards. It's one simply, clearly stated condition. Be all in for Jesus. Go all in. Give him everything. Strive to obey his commandments. Give him your life. Give him your talents. Give him your money. Give him your time. Give him everything. These are the promises for the faithful. Are you willing to do what Jesus commanded you to do last week? Last week he said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me faithfully with your life. Now this is Christianity, and it is the only Christianity there is. All in or nothing. That's the only Christianity there is. If so, if you are willing to do those things for Jesus, you are the faithful. And these promises are yours and are a guarantee from God. Take them, believe them, apply them to your soul, and sleep well at night because the God of the universe can never break a lie and never break a promise. Never tell a lie, excuse me, and never break a promise. Now, obeying Jesus sounds costly. Last week's lesson sounded costly until you discover the rewards that he gives us for doing so. And once you understand the rewards, guys, You'd be a fool not to follow Jesus with your life. I want to end my lesson today on the famous, my favorite parable from Scripture. I read this on Wednesday as well. This is my favorite parable that Jesus ever taught. He says in Matthew 13, listen to the language, the kingdom of heaven. Remember the can't miss stock? The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had 
and bought it. Following Jesus is an eternal bargain. Whatever he asks and whatever he requires, he is going to give you back so much more. Are you all in for Jesus yet? Are you all in yet? Is he worthy of your love? Is he worthy of your obedience and your service and your faithfulness? If you haven't already, or you need to renew your commitment to Jesus today, do it today. Let's go all in for our Lord Jesus today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I hope you have touched the souls here. Have you touched mine? Father, I renew my commitment to you. I, I want to be all in for Jesus. As I said at age 26, and Father, I pray for the souls here in this room. I don't know where they are in their relationship to you. I don't know if they're holding back. I don't know if they even understand this. But Father, I pray that you'd help them grasp what was said today. That only you can satisfy the soul. Only you can take care of us for the rest of eternity. Only you are the only lasting king and kingdom that will exist. Help us to understand the great promises we get from following Jesus Christ, from being all in. Guide us, direct us, Father. Awaken us from the dead if you need to. I want to pause right now for this entire church, and I want you to ask the Lord today if there is a commitment you need to make to him right now. I don't normally do this, but I want you to pray to the Lord right now. And if there is a commitment that you need to make before the Lord, I ask that you do it now. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't wait till after lunch. Don't wait till after the day is over. Bow before the Lord and make that commitment now. If you are not saved and you've never said to the Lord, I'm all in, say it today. Give him your soul and taste and see what the Lord can do for you more than anyone else. If it's been a while, if you were thrown off your course by COVID-19 or whatever happened in the past year, renew that commitment to the Lord today and say, Lord, I'm all in. I'm all in for Jesus. Because only you, my creator and my God and my savior can love me the way that I was designed. And my greatest purpose is to love and know and serve the king of the universe. And I pray for your soul today that you would go all in for Jesus. That this church would come alive and awaken in a way we haven't seen yet. And that the community would watch as Wyoming Valley Church sets this world on fire in a good way. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for this message today. And I pray for our church. Awaken our souls. Help us to be all in. And we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.